This is the Amazing Education Podcast. Powered by the Ames Community School District, I'm your host, Eric Smith. On today's episode, we are joined by Dr. Anthony Jones, Director of Equity for Ames Schools. We're going to have an amazing conversation about what equity means in education and why it needs to be a focus for school districts. All right, Dr. Anthony Jones, thanks for being on this episode of the Amazing Education Podcast. How are you? Uh, doing well. Uh, thank you for having me. Absolutely. So we're going to talk equity on this episode because um, I think it's something that I think, you know, is talked about and it's talked about a lot in our community, but I think it, it was worthy of a conversation on, on this podcast to really get some depth to what that really means. And so, um, you know, I have a number of questions, but, but you know, we're, we're going to see where this episode takes us. And so right. when we talk about equity in education, you know, like what does that mean and why should it be a focus? Yeah. Um, well, when we talk in terms of equity in education, I think there's a difference between, um, you know, equity, for instance, in the community such as when I talk to people uh, in other organizations, I say, you know, there's an equity advocacy uh, for making sure there's, um, there are handicap accessible parking spaces at grocery stores and Walmart, right? There are some things that um, have been done around the city to make sure that um, uh, handicap accessibility is, is uh, available for those who may be in a wheelchair or may be uh, unable to uh, step up on a sidewalk. So there have been some structural things uh, done in the city to make sure that there, there is accessibility uh, for individuals who can, can't you know, just walk up on a, step up on a sidewalk. But in terms of equity in education, this is specifically looking at structures and systems around policies, around procedures and practices, uh, but also around uh, instruction. And so when we talk in terms of that, well, you would say, well, you know, that's for everyone. All the students who enter into our buildings, the public school setting, of course, we're going to make sure policies and procedures and practices and instructional uh, practices are, are, are equal uh, to all of our students. Well, I said the word equal. They're talking in terms of equality. But in terms of equity, what we have to begin to realize that even in our educational system, which is set up for everyone, that there could be some inequities based upon uh, what your background is. And that is when it's an equity issue in education. Uh, so for instance, when we look at uh, academic success of our students uh, in the community uh, of Ames, um, we have to look at our data. And so if our data says that you know, we have um, mostly our marginalized students, which we identify uh, as black and brown, or those who uh, speak another language than English. When we look at the data around that, uh, with all the equality, with all the great programs that we have in Ames, if we see that those students are being unsuccessful academically, then that is an equity issue in education. Also, how do we structure resources? So are we putting most of our resources uh, into programs such as Talented and Gifted, and then when we look at the at-risk programs uh, or students who are um, low SES, uh, are there some inequities within that structure? Uh, when we look just by the eye test, when we do just a walkthrough through our campuses, 
if we look at our programs, such as, for instance, we call it ELP in, in Ames School District, or Talent and Gifted, uh, we look just by the ICE test and we look in those classrooms and we see only white and Asian students in our ELP programs. And then we look at our at-risk programs or our remedial courses and we see mostly black and brown students. Then that is an equity issue in, in education. So I really appreciate you bringing up that example. Um, and so everyone can get into the, that talented and gifted though, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. So how is it inequitable? And I'm being facetious here. I, I mean, I, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm pushing the topic here a little yeah. bit further, but, but yeah. everyone has the same, same access to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so talk through that. You know, yeah. what, how, how does having an equity lens play into that? Yeah. So again, you always start with the question of why. Why is that so? So if everyone has uh, equal opportunities to get into a talent and gifted class, then why consistently, not only in Ames, but nationally, we see students who are brown and black, those students who would qualify as uh, on free and reduced or low SES, they're not in ELP programs. Well, of course, we run everything through a system of standardized testing, right? And so that is one, but then we also have to factor in uh, the players in the system such as teachers, administrators, and how we go about identifying who is able to be in those uh, classes. And when we look at our assessments, we know that it's biased in those tests, the way that we identify uh, our students, but also how do we, um, you know, those implicit biases and sometimes explicit biases of how we deem who is worthy to be in those classes. And so as we're looking through the assessment scores, which is already biased, but then as we are giving, uh, when we're getting recommendations for students who should be in those classes, typically uh, we are identifying white and Asian students. And so I think you spoke to it um, a little bit here. You know, one of the the topics I wanted to talk about is, you know, in a school district, this work has to be deliberate. It has to be purposeful. Mm -hmm. It can't just be talked about in a meeting and then assumed that systemically it's going to be implemented. And, um, and, and that's a really great example. You know, another data point that, that we see is around discipline. Yep. And t- talk through that a little bit, because, you know, let's say, you know, I'm, I'm a teacher, I'm an administrator uh, across the nation, not in Ames, not in Iowa, but across the nation. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, I think there's always this, well, if I see a behavior, mm-hmm. I'm going to address it. Yep. You know, and, and I, I play this um, play this card of, you know, it doesn't matter what, you know, what race the student is or mm-hmm. whether they're male or female or what their background is. If I see the behavior, I'm going to deal with that. Yeah. Where, where, where did I go wrong? Yeah. So, of course, you know, you've probably heard uh, many people mention the word implicit bias, mm-hmm. right? How we see students determine how we respond to students. Uh, but not only that, it's a little bit deeper than that. Uh, I use a word that we don't use a lot in, in education, but I'll start saying it even more so boldly, uh, the term white supremacy. Mm-hmm. And so what do we mean by white supremacy is that everything is normalized through uh, white racial identity. So when you think in terms of that, you have to factor in what do we mean by behaviors. So if I say, well, my expectation from a white lens is that I sit in a classroom in a certain way. Right. Or that I behave in a certain way based upon my background, yep. based upon my experiences in a white dominant educational system. And so mm-hmm. I'm going to factor everything through that lens when I when I when I look at how I respond to discipline. So 
Um, and it's and again, the thing that is funny is that it can work with with any race, right? Mm-hmm. Because you have to factor in, even when I look at poor students, if I have a lens that I was raised to look at poor students in a certain way, or those students who may come from a rural area and I'm in an urban area yeah. or a suburban area, I may have some bias toward, um, toward students and families from that perspective. And so my expectation is that if I don't look you in the eye, then that means that you're not being respectful to yeah. me. And so when you factor in those things, then it becomes an equity issue. That classic uh, respect. Yes. You know, I mean, we all fall, you know, not we all, but I mean, it's it's mm-hmm. it's it's common to fall back on that. Yep. And, and but it's all in how that is defined. And mm-hmm. I actually remember a story um, from, it might've been last year, our equity work around Katie Swalwell, Dr. Katie Swalwell, I think yes. shared this, this story about, yeah, how um, walking down a hall, there mm-hmm. was, and this did not happen in Ames. This is, right. this is a, an example from a different district, but I think it can be a, a, applied, the concept applied mm-hmm. in that there was, you know, two African-American students, black students walking down the hall. Um, hey, hey, where are you guys going? They had a hall pass, but, you know, like they were questioned. And then there's this, you know, honor student, you know, um, white student who is walking across the building in the hall with a blowtorch. Yeah. And he had a very legitimate reason for that, but but never got questioned. And so, you know, I mean, I think that's just a classic example of, mm-hmm. you know, why do some students get stopped and, and other students don't? And and in this case, neither resulted in a disciplinary thing, but they very easily could have right. in, in a lot of scenarios. Mm-hmm. So we've talked some about race already, and we're certainly going to come back to that. But but equity work is not just about race. Right. Um, what other topics are you looking at in, in your office and department? Yeah, so outside of race, and again, it's, it's difficult to ignore race yeah. because it factors in in so many areas in, in, in the educational setting, yeah. which the more that I learn from this particular position that I'm in is the more it, it just kind of just surfaces. But mm-hmm. even if I mention one of the areas that we're looking at is gender identity, mm-hmm. you still have to factor in students who may have a different racial makeup and then how we respond yeah, sure. uh, to students. But gender identity is another area that we're looking at uh, to provide more support uh, for our students. Such as, for instance, if, if I was to do a quick data, data run through our system uh, for students who may identify as queer or lesbian, gay, uh, bisexual, transitional, or uh, transgender, or, um, or non-binary, that is not in our infinite campus system, right? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. how do you factor Our student information system, <laughs> student our information database. System, right. Yeah. And so we need to, uh, and it's even in our equity audit, it's in our middle school equity audit as well as our high school equity audit. We have no way, we, currently we are not collecting data on students who identify in that way. Yeah. Uh, that is one area that uh, we are, are looking at. Uh, another area, again, that was identified in our uh, equity audit, which, you know, again, is the eye test, is our extracurricular activities. Mm-hmm. So uh, students who are participating uh, in extracurricular activities, I mean, it was a shock to the system that even in the secondary level is that uh, our, our female students, students who identify as uh, female, are not participating at a high level in certain activities. Yeah. And so we need to figure out why. Uh, certain students are not participating uh, in extracurricular activities. So uh, those are some areas that yeah. uh, we're looking at. And so extracurriculars, um, you talked about the ELP program. Mm-hmm. 
what what is one of the next steps then in getting a more accurate representation of what our student body is into those into those programs? Mm -hmm. uh, we have to change how we again. You said it earlier. We got to be intentional. Yeah. Right. And so we based our we base our response too heavily on uh, assessment scores, mm -hmm. such as FAST, such as, you know, we have the MAP test, we have the ISAPs now. Uh, we base all of our responses on that. And we all know that students are very complex. We're complex as adults, right? Yep. And so we have to start identifying other areas where students are gifted. And that is not always done through an assessment uh, test. Sometimes that is through invitation. Um, that is through conversation with students, asking them that they're in, what their interests are. Um, it, it, it comes to helping our teachers identify other areas of giftedness besides the ability to take a test. Yeah. And so um, we have to do all of those trainings in order to increase that. And sometimes, you know, it's not just about one student, but uh, what I've learned even from my own children is that uh, it's, it's an, an environment setting thing too. If you walk into a talented, gifted class, you're in an AP course and you're the only black or brown student in that class, it's going to be very uncomfortable for you. Yeah. That environment is already set up um, implicitly, implicitly or explicitly that you don't belong. And so um, you have to have more than one of those students uh, in that classroom. Yeah. And so uh, there, are some there are some extracurricular activities um, that we can definitely model after, but again, it was very intentional. Um, there were activities specifically directed toward brown and black students, such as topics of discussion. Uh, if you're talking more about issues that matter uh, to students who identify in that way, those students are going to be more engaged and want, want to take part in those classes and those activities. Mm -hmm. uh, and so those are some of the things that we have to be a little more intentional about. One of the things that I often think about, and it all stems from conversations that you know you and I have had, and and collectively with with other people, is this idea around advocacy. And so mm -hmm. I'll go back to, um, and even self advocacy. Um, I'll go back to, say the talented and gifted, or insert any extracurricular for students. <laughs> Don't pick on talented. Gifted. Yeah. Well, no, I'm not. I mean, I'm using. No, I'm just saying. <laughs> it. Um, yeah. It is great. I mean, it's yeah. it's it's a great example, but mm -hmm. even if we apply that to to parents about um advocating, there is there is a discrepancy I think in not so much the ability to advocate, but but the perception that it's okay to advocate. Yeah. Can, can you make what I'm saying more articulate, please? So, um so for example, if I'm a student, Mm -hmm. I may not feel like I belong in this AP class, just like you just referenced. And right. so, you know, as, as a school district, we need to, um, you know, approach students. We need to approach um, um, families with this opportunity and possibility. But I also think, like, as a school district, we know that um, it's not always comfortable for parents to pick up a phone call yeah. and call their building principal about mm -hmm. something that, um, or about a suggestion that they may have or mm -hmm. um, to shed a light on something that's not equitable. And yeah. so it kind of falls on us to also understand that mm -hmm. as a school district to advocate yeah. for students and for parents mm -hmm. and to make decisions not just based on yeah. what's convenient. Yeah. And again, it goes back to a, a couple of things, um, the importance of communication. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes parents don't know all of the details behind 
So how do how do I advocate for my child to be uh, in an enrichment class? Right. Yeah. For, but, my, yeah. for my child to be challenged. They don't know, like, okay, so who do I who do I who do I call to ask, right? Right. So that's one piece. But then sometimes is is I've tried and I've been shut down at, at the head, you know. So yep. if I've contacted whether I contact a secretary mm-hmm. and you know, they, you know, say, you know, well, no, that's been closed, this, you know, we go by data or whatever, yeah. this this ISAF score, whatever. Uh, they've been rejected on that that foundational level, and so they feel as though they can't advocate. So it's like, well, you know, whatever the school says is what we have to do. Uh, I've been in communication with parents who have tried to go the advocacy route, mm-hmm. and they've been given a lot of runaround. And so that is exhausting when you look at a system. Yeah. So, you know, you may ask to speak to a manager, and then somebody comes out, you're at a restaurant, and then the manager doesn't come out, but there's another position that comes out, and you got to yep. go through that person mm-hmm. to even get to the manager. That is pretty exhausting to yeah. get your needs met. So even at an advocacy level, if I can use you advocating for uh, hot food at a restaurant, if you have to go through so many levels just to get your needs met, it's kind of exhausting. And yeah. so you just kind of say, well, I just go where whoever's going to serve me, or I'm just going to accept whatever, you know, I'm, I'm going to order a different meal. So since yeah. that meal comes to me and it's not hot, I'm going to try a different meal or I'm going to go to a different restaurant. Yeah. And so advocacy uh, within the educational system, if our parents have to go through so many levels to get their needs met, then that is exhausting uh, for the mm-hmm. parents. So we're talking about, you know, equity work in education, which for um, those who are are those uh, who are listening who are in education know that the education system is pretty notoriously slow to oh, implement a lot of things. Um, and as a as a local school district, you know, you and I, Dr. Jones, you know, we always do our best like, hey, man, let's let's get moving. Let's get doing stuff. Let's mm-hmm. let's make some change. Let's do things. But but just thinking, you know, nationally or as like a, a broad concept system, the education system is slow. And so how do we how do we navigate? Um, how do we move a system when it comes to equity? Because I think it is important to move a system and not just move individual pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, it's important to have that lens. Um, I know I think about it in communications all the time. Like, yeah, we can move different pieces, but I'm also thinking about that broad concept mm-hmm. of communications as a system lens because it's much more sustainable that way. Right. So right. how do we do that in equity? Right, and that, and that is, uh, that is a uh, frustration, I would say, in, in this particular position because, um, and again, this is just, if I could say this, if I can be honest in this, is that the system of inequities have been created Forever, right? Yeah. Since the foundation right. of uh, the school system history, yeah. And so the expectation is to turn it around in a year, yeah. And so it's kind of like for two hundred plus years, <laughs> yeah. The school system has been functioning in inequities, yeah. And, and not so just locally. Just, we're talking. We're talking national. Yeah, just yeah. The, the national setup of school systems. So, for instance, you know, the mission of of education is centered around uh, competition, right? Mm-hmm. And so if the mission statement of education is that somebody got to have a 4.0 and get a scholarship and go to Yale, right? Yep. And then somebody got to go to, you know, a community college or go and flip my burgers when I pull up and make sure I get my hot meal, right? It's, it's, it's always been a competition from the beginning, right? 
And so um, for me, it's about, it's about looking at data. And you may have heard people say, you know, the low-hanging fruit, which area to address first. Mm-hmm. You got to start with the snowball effect. Yep. Kind of get some small successes and then build upon that. But that is not always the case because sometimes there could be a small hanging fruit and that can be something that you can pat yourself on the back, but it doesn't move the system fast enough. It's an easy one. It's an easy one. But there could be a a high piece of fruit that you can pull and that can totally just turn the system over toward inequities. And that takes time. Uh, That takes being able to have not only data, but the right data. And so... Um, you have to know what data to look for. You have to not only look through like something that I can get through a quick survey, but you have to go out and talk to parents. You have to go out and talk to teachers. You have to go out and talk to administrators. Uh, You got to go out and talk to community members. And so you have to pull that data too. And so historically, when we respond to inequities quickly, we've we've always typically create more inequities. And you can see if you if you were to chart out the way that we've responded to inequities over time, we've always created more inequities. Mm-hmm. So it takes a, a sharp focused lens. Uh, it takes time, but also when we talk in terms of taking time, we can't be so quick to shoot from the hip that we create more inequities. And and, and sometimes community members don't want to hear that. Why? Because there needs to be a sense of urgency. Because one of the reasons that the system is slow is that the system has been successful in certain areas, right? And I always, I always like to use this example, uh, and people use this example in certain areas. So, you know, one of the issues about the Titanic, you know, you've seen the movie, yep, you yep. historical um, comments about the Titanic was that it was very prideful in the creators of the Titanic because they thought it could be uh, sunk, right? Mm-hmm. And so when there's pride and arrogance in a system, you've had success, that also factors in how long it takes to turn a system around. So when you say, hey, we have some inequities in our system, what do you mean? Yeah. We have so many presidential scholars. We are constantly yeah. seeing we have success in our system. So in order to bring that up and say, hey, we need, we, there are some other areas in our district that we need to address in terms of inequity. Do you know we have some students who are not being successful in our system? It takes, it yeah. takes a while to kind of go and, and sift through that with uh, community members and um, district staff. So I, I really appreciate you bringing this up because, um, so let, let's push and pull on this a little bit. Um, you ask someone, you know, you approach someone like, or, you know, do you think we should have, you know, we should focus on equity in a school district? Yep. That's mm-hmm. a softball question. I mean, that's yep. easy, you know? Yep. yep. Absolutely. We mm-hmm. should. And then once we get into the actual work of it, 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 it becomes a little bit more intense for people. I mean, and, and uncomfortable at times. And, and yep. I think that's great. It, it, it should, it should mm-hmm. push the conversation forward. Mm-hmm. And then I think, and, and I'll own this. I mean, I think everybody has gone, not everyone, a lot of people have gone through this feeling where they have these moments of, well, wait a second, if we build up this, that means we have to take away from something else. Yep. Where am I going wrong in that? Right. No, that's 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 definitely because that happens. I it mean, happens. Every, whether people articulate it or not, they think yeah. it, and and yeah. that's a very it's it's natural. It's part of the process, but I think it's it's also a result of it being uncomfortable. The yeah. topic, whatever the topic is, it, it becomes an uncomfortable topic because 
for a variety of reasons, you know, not everyone is in the same place to have this conversation. But it doesn't mean we shouldn't have it mm-hmm. or do the work. Mm-hmm. So, so where did I go wrong in that thinking? Right. No, um, I, I absolutely uh, have heard that. I've been yeah. a, a part of conversations where that has been a concern. And what's difficult, I mean, we talked about this uh, a few minutes ago, but if the system has been created to where parents have to come and advocate for something, right? Yeah then you're used to advocating, and if you've had success in advocating, then you know the system. You have, even if it's not in the forefront of your mind, you know in the back of your mind, in order for my child to get something in this system, I have to advocate for it, right? Mm -hmm. And so you're used to seeing, like, if I had a scale, you know, and I'm trying to balance the scale, you're used to seeing visually that when I advocate for something, I add something to the scale for my child, right? But in, when you say, okay, we're going to address inequities in the system, this is hard for people to believe that in order to create equity, there has to be some inequities created. So what, what do I mean by that? Yeah. If you are used to gaining in the system, you're going to have to give up advocating for some things for your kids so others may have. So what I mean I, is the, 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 the visual that I see in my head, and, I, and again, is some visuals that I want to use even for our staff and our community members, just the example of the scale, right? So if the scale is already balanced and you have one side higher than the other, and I have some little gold coins on there stacked up on one side, and in order to create inequities, then I have to begin to add more things yeah. on the other side in order for it to start balancing, right? But I'm adding to one side while the other side isn't receiving anything. And so visually, it looks like they are getting more and I'm not, yeah. right? But equity is always built around we're making sure that those who have a need are getting those needs in the time that they need it, right? And so it's hard for us, as even as people, to, to understand that. Let's go back to the restaurant example. If I've advocated for hot food and I've advocated for the, 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 the waiter or the waitress to come over to my table and there's another couple next to me who have been there longer than me, right? And I get my food faster than them than I've advocated, then that's a that's that's an issue, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we we tend to take that same concept into the educational system. But it's not about that. It's about making sure that we respond to those who have the most need at the current time. Time flies when we have this conversation. <laughs> I don't. I don't. Uh, I don't think we should be done. I think um, I have a number of other topics that that I think that we should talk about. So we're going to wrap up this episode. We're going to turn around and do another one because I think we need to. Yeah. Um, so absolutely. For everyone listening on on this episode of the Amazing Education Podcast, first, thank you for listening. We really appreciate that. Um, We are available on iTunes, Google Play, and if you're watching this on YouTube, you know that we're there as well because I just think there's an added value in videotaping these podcasts. Always check us out there as well. And and please, if you do like what you hear, share it with others. You know, spread the word. This is this particular is a really important topic. So um, as far as this episode goes, Dr. Jones, I wanted to thank you for being on it. But we're going to turn around and do another one. Okay. All right. Great. Thank you. Thank you.